in the previous episode of the Makers and Shakers Society. Dear, dear ancestors, bring your faces around to the east and let the dawn soak you with the bleached light of the future. So what are you doing later today? Not much. How about, shall I come over and spend the night? We march today because we are fed up. When the history of this moment is written in the future, what will our children and grandchildren say? I can't help wondering what's going to happen after all this. I'm worried. University, jobs, marriage, kids, like our parents. It doesn't have to be like that. What about if we all agree, right now, today, that we're going to keep this going as long as necessary? Uh, okay. I'm in. Me too. Okay. But our group needs to have a name. Okay. Everyone, let's toast to the Makers and Shakers Society. Cheers. Cheers. Makers and Shakers Society, Episode 2. Good morning, ancestors. I woke up in the yard behind my abandoned childhood home, just as the sun cut between two ruined walls across the street and down the driveway. A few clouds tinted that wonderful orange-red along their bottoms. Thank God that hasn't changed in all these years. Are you still there? By 2019, Seth, Grace, Leah, and I started talking about suffering under the weight of the dream, the fantasy that unlimited economic growth, prosperity, innovation, individual freedom, and the good life would somehow make everyone happy. When I looked around, the adults I saw held fast to this dream, even when news of droughts, floods, and wildfires were reported daily. They moved like sleepwalkers when the alarm sounded. They opened their eyes, they saw, they knew, and then they forged straight ahead with their eyes shut tight. The sirens had been blaring for a long time, but they disconnected them one by one. It hit me hard that Easter morning when Grace, Leah, and I visited Seth. We sat in his basement and watched YouTube news reports from the BBC. Airport. 
glued themselves to the entrance of the London Stock Exchange and chained themselves to Jeremy Corbyn's home. Who's he? Leader of the opposition party. claims the government is guilty of criminal inactivity. In amongst the groups estimated tens of thousands of protesters, Hollywood stars, global climate change campaigners and Olympians. As of Thursday afternoon, 1,130 activists have been arrested. Holding cells in London are filled to capacity. Some of those arrested had to be sent to detention centres in nearby cities. Mm, not enough holding cells for everyone. <laughs> Good work. For disaster. The government said the protest disrupted the lives of many hundreds of thousands of hard-working Londoners. They also claim that the activists caused thousands of pounds of damage at the Shell headquarters in Belvedere Road. Oh, poor things. Swedish teenage activist Greta Thunberg came to London this week to tell demonstrators, keep going, you are making a difference. We have gathered today because we have chosen which path we want to take and now we are waiting for the others to follow our example. Yes, Greta! Yes! Go this on. is Anthony Bragg for BBC News. I don't London. know. It gives me a bad feeling when I see climate activists blocking traffic and gluing themselves to subway trains and stuff like that. Don't you think that that kind of stuff is just going to get people upset? <laughs> you sound a bit like my parents. When they first became activists, they participated in lots of civil disobedience. But now I think they might agree with you. So what happened? Well... <laughs> Being black queen students in the late 90s, my parents were conscious of racial discrimination and privilege, mm -hmm. but they weren't particularly activist. And all that changed in second year. The Shabbat-Obadjuan First Nations started protesting against a proposed uranium mine north of Kingston, and these people welcomed my parents to join them. Yeah, I remember hearing about that protest. People went to jail. Yeah, my mother and several others were arrested. One of the Anishinaabe women went on a hunger strike. Mm -hmm. Things dragged on for over a year. Well, did they win? <laughs> no, the protesters lost. But the mining company drilled some holes and decided it wasn't worth it. Yeah, that yeah, checks of out. Course. But for my mother, everything changed. She went to law school and is now a land claims lawyer. She wants to make change from inside the system. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, but there's only so much you can do inside a corrupt system. Sometimes you need to break the law, like those people in England. Mm -hmm. They're certainly getting attention. And not only that, it scares the powerful. But it could also turn off people who could be our allies. Sometimes that's true. But timing and context are important. Mm -hmm. These tactics can work when the time is right. Is that fish getting overcooked? It's fine. Don't worry. That May, my parents invited Rupert Madison and Sandra Dubois over for dinner. Shall we use the blue napkins? I knew this was a big deal. Madison, they said, perfect, was this famous English professor who helped get Kathy's novel published. Oh my God, they're here! At that point, I had no idea he was more than that. Yes, I got to know John Berger when I was at Cambridge. Seriously? I had a regular column in the New Statesman while Berger was still writing art criticism for the magazine. What was he like? Very odd, but I liked him. Oh. He enjoyed a good argument. I always thought he was somewhat overrated as a writer. Oh, I, I thought Pig Earth was good. Mm, the earlier novels were better. Oh, I remember Harold Bloom and I talking about this. He thought Berger was publishing way too much in his later years. A lot of it crap. Uh, I don't know who these people are. Oh, you've never read Ways of Seeing? 
Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, have some more wine. This is Louis Latour von Romanet. It's, it's delicious. Thanks. Annika, would you like a sip? Sure. Uh, to the creative imagination. Uh, uh, to Kathy's novel. Yes. Oh, oh, cheers. Bravo. Oh, cheers. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you all. Oh, we got several bottles of this wine last summer when we were in Paris. The Opera Nationale was performing Wagner's entire ring cycle over four weeks. We always <laughs> stay at the same pension in the 5th arrondissement, mm -hmm. but it was bloody hot. Mm -hmm. People were literally dying of heat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was really hot and dry here too, wasn't it, Mum? Yes, yes. I don't remember it ever being that bad. And then we stopped off in London on the way home, and it was even hotter there, if you can believe it. Oh. Oh, apparently, the bookies lost their bets when the temperature peaked above 38 degrees centigrade. <laughs> if Europe keeps having scorchers like that, I'm not sure what's going to happen to summer tourism. Mm. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not big travelers. Oh, but, but Paris, you've got to see Paris at least once in your life. <laughs> I'd love to go to Paris. Oh, it's beautiful. Our son here doesn't approve of flying. Oh, oh. Seriously. What? And why? Um, climate change. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. Uh. Well, you're kidding, right? No, I'm not kidding. Oh. Airplanes generate massive carbon emissions. And North Americans taking Paris holidays are actually, you know, part of the reason why oh. it's so hot in Europe. I, I, I don't get your reasoning. I mean, I've read that flying only accounts for two percent of carbon emissions worldwide. But traveling by air pumps twice as much carbon per person per mile into the atmosphere compared to driving. And the airline industry is growing faster than any other form of transportation. Let me get this straight. You're saying people should stop flying? I'm saying people should only fly if they absolutely have to. And you think your decision not to fly actually makes any mm. measurable difference mm -hmm. to world carbon emissions? Well, I mean, if enough people did it, Look, I think I'm that... Look, I'm a professor of English literature. Sandra is a specialist in post-Renaissance art. Travel to Europe is a professional necessity. And a psychological one. Oh, I mm -hmm. mean, if we couldn't travel abroad, <laughs> I would go seriously crazy living in Kingston. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, but we're in a global climate emergency. Look, emissions continue to go up and consequences are there to see. Record-breaking mm. heat waves, for example. So you're telling us that the multi-billion dollar international tourism industry should be scrapped? You want to put millions of people out of work and bankrupt many poor countries. Well, one of the reasons Sandra and I go to Cuba every year is to help support the struggling Cuban economy. Absolutely. <laughs> Annika. Sorry. People in those poor countries would be a lot better off if they developed their local economies instead of relying on tourism. Oliver. I can tell you're someone who believes in utopias. Well, you think people are rational beings who can plan for the future. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm here to tell you that we human beings are deeply irrational souls. Okay, right. We mm -hmm. are prisoners of our appetites. And the future, well, it's just that. It's in the future. Who knows what will really happen, right? Climate scientists think they have a pretty good idea. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe not. Look, I love my life, 
beautiful women like Sandra <laughs> and your mother. Thank you. Great <laughs> art, delicious food, good wine. I work hard so that I can live it as fully as possible. And it's not always easy. But I focus on the present, not on some hypothetical All those beautiful future. things will be, be gone soon if we don't. So be it. Humanity might destroy itself. But the Earth will recover without us, don't you think? <clears throat> on that bright note, who's ready for dessert? It's poached pears. Oh, Kathy, what a fantastic meal. Thank you so much. Of course, I'll go get them. Oliver, will you come help? Ah, pears in May. Must have been flown in from the U.S. <laughs> that night, sleep abandoned me. Rupert's reaction to the catastrophe was astonishingly calm, an admirable form of stoicism. There are so many ways of knowing and not knowing at the same time. Forgetting was a necessary part of the dream. Forgetting that humans are not separate from the living world, that, that humans are just as much a part of nature as a river or a bird. Thanks so much for a wonderful evening. Oh. It was great meeting you. Oh, we're so and glad. you. So glad you could come. And nice chatting with you, Oliver. Likewise, Mr. Madison. Oliver. Hey, Seth. Hey, man, are you coming down to the lake? Uh, when? Now? Yeah, we're going to celebrate. Uh, sure? Come on, let's go. Okay, okay, sure. That June, high school was suddenly over. Everyone was leaving town. How does it feel to be finally finished high school? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what I should do next year. You need to get out of Kingston. Yeah? You know, most of the people we know in Kingston are trying to live the dream of being white and privileged. <laughs> I'm tired of it. That's harsh. Look, until I went to school, I was a pretty confident little kid. But when I went to kindergarten, things changed. I couldn't understand why people were being mean to me. I started to think I must be a bad person. In kindergarten? When I was a bit older, my parents explained about racism, and then I started to see. Now, it's not me who's messed up, it's how the world is organized. Okay, I see what you mean. In Toronto, my mother knows people who are at the Indigenous Cultural Network, and they're really dope. I'll also be able to spend time with my father's relatives who still live in public housing. I don't think I'd want to spend time with my Toronto relatives. <laughs> but there's lots of interesting people in a big city. Look, Ollie, you're someone who thinks and is willing to hold paradoxical thoughts in your head. You write songs about real things. Other people like that stuff. You just have to find them. Yeah, I guess you're right. Look, there they are. Most of our friends were there. Cameron, Molly, Ridley, Leah, Grace, and a few others. Just between us, I've been pre-accepted at UBC. Yeah, I just have to do all of these exams. I got an offer from McGill. Oh, amazing. That's awesome. Man, I'm still waiting. Yeah, that takes forever, though. My parents are so hung up on the university thing. Like, you have to think about the future, but honestly, I don't know if we're going to have a future. Oh, that's a hot <laughs> yeah. Like, we're in this group, right? Fridays for Future. Mm -hmm. 
um, like we like we see what's going on. There's been a ton of reports saying that in just a few years, climate change will be totally irreversible. It's mm. only getting worse. Mm. So I don't really think it's fair to say that we have a future. Yeah, like Awareness. I'm working so hard, going to school, getting an education, but does it really matter at the yes. end of the day? Yeah. Am I even going to be around to work depressing. that job I've been going to school for for so long? What would you want to do instead? Okay, you're both partly right. But that's why we have to get out and protest. We have to demand our future back. It's up to us. Yeah. But if it's just kids protesting, that's really, like, sad. Yeah, it's like that headline yeah. I saw the other day. The UN looks to the children for hope. <laughs> our job. That's yeah. crazy. That's really the UN is full of super informed people. Yeah, why are they looking at kids with, like, a grade 12 education? Okay, but Ridley, soon you and I and our generation will be able to vote. Okay, don't tell me that won't change things. It's going to take a lot more than voting, Leah. Just because the adults aren't doing anything doesn't mean we should just sit around and wait for the world to end. Mm. No, right? Like, think about Greta. Yeah. Things are starting to change already. I've decided to study environmental engineering. It's incredible what direct air carbon capture technology can do. They predict it'll be able to remove millions of tons of CO2 from the atmosphere each year. Look, Cam, we can't just keep relying on technology and thinking that it's going to solve everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more to it. Right? Well, we're going to need all the help we can get. What yeah. could like, 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 Got some mushrooms in the park, anybody wants them? <laughs> do not do yeah. that. Don't turn your mouth. So. About an hour or so later, I noticed that some people were ready to leave. Seth went home first, and Grace left right after. Finally, I said, like, gotta go, guys. Surprisingly, Leah said she'd walk home with me. That 350 guy, Robert, he can make the new signs, but they've got to let me deal with social media for the march. They haven't got a clue. I know. Uh, so what are you doing for the rest of the summer? My parents and I are going to Europe. It's for like a month or something. Four countries. We've never been. Hey, come on, don't look at me like that. Okay, I know airplanes are bad, but it's not up to me. Yeah, I told them we should stop flying, but this holiday means so much to them. It's gonna be our last time together as a family before I go to university. I understand, it's okay. And you, what are you up to? Well, Kathy and Ron rented a cottage for a week. You know, music, same old stuff. We should get together at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I'd really like that. Good night, Ollie. Good night. Hey, Ollie. What's up, man? Hey, Molly Ridley. Hi, uh, my guitar lesson. You? Just chilling at my place. Uh... How long did it go last night? A long time. After you left, we walked to like a dark part of the park where no one could see us. It was so hot. People were like taking off their clothes and getting wild. Leah was so into it. 
Leah, but Leah walked home with me. She came back. She was one of the last to leave. Well, that, that's weird. My guitar lesson didn't go well. I ended up telling Stuart about what I heard on the bus. When I got home, Kathy and Ron were both out. I sat and looked at my phone for an hour. Finally, I called Leah. Hi, Ollie. She told me to meet her at the skateboard park. <sighs> Look, here's what happened. Okay, it must have been like, I don't know, 2.30? Everybody was really cross-faded, and Cameron started it. Okay, he'd been bragging about his sexual conquests all night. We started teasing him, and then he just took, like, all his clothes off. No embarrassment. Okay, we all joined in. No. Come on, wait! Yeah, I'm next! No, I wish you hadn't told me. Come on, Ollie, don't make such a face. It was a little private adventure. Safe sex, okay, consenting almost adults. <laughs> you want to know what it has to do with us? I don't know what I want. Look, Ollie, you and I, we're good friends. You know that, right? But this exclusivity thing is crap, if that's what you're looking for. Look at me, Oliver. Yes. I want what we have to continue. Is that okay? Yeah, I guess. Good. Great! You kept up even at that speed. That is much, much better. I've been practicing. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. So, um, you were a little upset last class. Uh, did you have a chance to talk to your girlfriend? Uh, is she my girlfriend? <sighs> yes, I did. Um, she was part of this, like, uh, group thing the other night. Ah, uh, so it was true. Apparently. Huh. She said I shouldn't get all emo about it. Hey, Ollie, it is okay to feel hurt. There is no shame in it. Uh, Leah's little adventure and the conversation I had with Mr... I need to fly for work guy has just been too much. I feel like this is the end of the world and there's nothing we can do about any of it. Uh, okay, so, okay, maybe there is some truth in the second part of that statement. You can't do much about the world in the end, but try to influence your own small circle. Look, when I feel like that, I try to remind myself that there are forces at work in the world that I will never understand. I mean, it's beyond science, it's beyond politics, but eventually, 
I believe that our better angels will win. They have to. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. Well, our better angels don't seem to be doing very well these days. Ah, no, 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 no. You cannot say that. You cannot know that. It's bigger than us. It's, it's more complicated than any of us can imagine. I wish I could think like that, Stuart. Really, I do. In an international news, French police pepper sprayed protesters today in Paris. Helen Ng reports. French police have pepper sprayed at close range climate activists with Extinction Rebellion blocking roads into Paris before removing them by force. The protesters had reportedly blockaded the Sully Bridge, a major crossing of the Seine River not far from Notre Dame. Pictures and videos of police actions quickly spread across Twitter. Greta Thunberg said on social media, Watch this video and ask yourself, who is defending who? These events happened as France baked in a heat wave with temperatures in Paris averaging 33 degrees Celsius. The French Meteorological Agency said that temperatures topped 45 degrees Celsius for the first time on the books, with the threshold being passed in three cities. Hell is coming, a Spanish meteorologist said this past Monday. Let's get started. Uh, let's get started, everyone, please. Let's, let's get started. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so my name is Rupert Madison. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this afternoon, we're so pleased to launch Kathy Adams' novel, Dream Again. It was an unusual time of year to have a book launch, wasn't it? July? But novel idea, the perfect store, because it was indie, like Kathy's publisher, was surprisingly crowded. This is a very special occasion. Seldom do we have a chance to welcome such a fresh and original voice in women's literature. And to think she lives right here in Kingston. The main character in Kathy's novel was an aspiring writer who was undermined by the responsibilities of marriage and child-rearing. The passage she read that day from Dream Again focused on Helen's confusion and anger. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. And thank you so much, Rupert. <clears throat> Helen, hovering over the sink, about to scrub the greasy plate, raised it high, turned, and heaved it across the room at Jeremy. He got the corner of it in the face before it smashed to pieces on the counter. His hands snapped up instinctively to protect himself. She screamed, I'm just a baby machine supplying the fucking conformist system with worker-consumer widgets. The crowd seemed to enjoy it. I don't think anyone thought, like, both of the actual worker-consumer widgets are here in the audience. I'm too busy to help. You're always too busy. That's the way it is, every night. I'm sick of it. I couldn't believe all the poets that showed up. Even Perry Winton was there. Yes, he 
talk to me. And I can't get over what Rupert said. A fresh and original voice in women's literature. Sure, I know. That was a bit over the top, don't you think? Uh, what do you mean by that? Fresh and original voices in women's literature are a dime a dozen these days, surely. What does that even really mean, Excuse anyway? Excuse me? Did I say something wrong? Uh, who do you think you are, putting down your mother on a day like today? I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just stating an obvious fact. That the novel I've spent 12 years writing is a dime a dozen? Oh, come on, I, I didn't say that. Yes, you just said that. What are you Look, saying? Okay, believe me. I'm really glad your novel's finally published and people like it, for mm -hmm. your sake. But how do you think it makes me and Annika feel you, to hear that one of the big Annika. obstacles to Helen's fulfillment as an artist was having oh, children? Oh, here we go. It is fiction. Helen isn't me. Isn't she? Well, there sure seems to be a lot of similarities. It's art. It's art. It's about how women are treated in the world. It's about misogyny. So? What about how, how children are treated in the world? The novel is actually not about you, Oliver. How narcissistic can you get? <laughs> you are calling me narcissistic? Just take a look at this family. Do either of you ever ask me or Annika how we're feeling and then listen to what we have to oh, say? This is incredible. I am your mother, for Christ's sake. Uh, excuse me. I, no one screams at you or hits you. You both have healthy food to eat and clean clothes to wear. <laughs> Those things are true. Your mother has worked her ass off and made hard, hard sacrifices in order to do her writing. Shame on you for not having the basic respect to congratulate her when she finally has some success. Don't even try. Look, I, I didn't ask to be born. That was your idea, oh, I believe. Oh my God, give us a break. I've spent my life giving you a break. Oh. Look. At that moment, Annika, who had been silent the whole time, ran out of the room. I'm pretty sure you It was terrible. I know. I know it was wrong. That was a bad time for me. Ah, shit. Leah came over a few days later. I could tell she was fed up with Kingston and all that went with it. She was angry about the world, racism, colonialism, inequality, whiteness, privilege, all of it. I just let her talk. She left for Europe with her parents two days later. Grace? Hi, how are you? Good. Just trying to find a bit of peace. <laughs> yeah, me too, I guess. Have you seen the swan's nest? No. Where's that, that summer, I took Over long walks by myself right along the, the river. Shall we go At some swampy spots, sure. you could stop and watch the community of swans, ducks, herons, and muskrats hanging out with the bullfrogs. What are they saying? It was on one of these walks in mid-August that I bumped into Grace, who seemed to be doing the same thing. It started out with both of us just like standing on the path, but later we found a big rock where we could sit side by side and watch the wildlife. Have you heard from Leah? Where is she this week? 
She texts once in a while. She said that uh, changing trains at the border between France and Spain was like being released from the prison of French snobbery. (laughs) (laughs) You know that uh, Leah and I are no longer a thing. I do. I'm sorry, Oliver. I'm sorry, too. Leah can be pretty confusing sometimes. Unlike the others, Grace never called me Ollie. It's also the end of high school. I took a weird comfort We're all in going it. To different universities. This small Everything gesture of formality felt like a sign totally. of respect. And I guess her thinking about politics and activism has moved on. Oh. Yeah? Yeah. She's really fed up with privileged and comfortable liberals and their wishy-washy politics. Yeah. Maybe it's just me, but I can't help feeling that she's becoming overly dogmatic. Surely, reality's more nuanced than that. Grace nodded and then turned to watch a gull like fishing in the river. Lunch. It would dive bomb Fantastic. the water, and a moment later, we both saw it oh, swallow yes. its tasty prize. Sure. A magical ballet. I think you have a point, Oliver. I love Leah. But she does have her own... She struggles with her own privileged and comfortable contradictions. Sometimes this whole radical thing becomes a performance she's putting on for an audience of one. Hmm. Herself. Like all of us these days, she looks in the mirror and finds herself wanting. So much to do, so little time, so little power. So much comfort, so many distractions. A lot of her activism is meant to make her feel better about herself. Yeah, I know what you mean. Seth's a bit like that too, isn't he? Maybe he is, but they both work hard to make the world better. I admire that. But how can we make the world a better place when, like Seth says, we all live in safe and middle-class bubbles? Is that what you think we live in? Well, it's true, isn't it? Maybe, when you look at us from the outside. But the bubbles burst when you look deeper. Okay. What about you? What would I find if I looked deeper? Okay, well, unlike the rest of you, I don't live downtown. I have suburban, middle-class parents who drive an SUV and have a flat-screen TV. They were born in India. Mom came here for university, and they never left. That sounds like a middle-class bubble to me. Mmm, but there's more. Anaya and Rajvir couldn't have children, so they decided to adopt a child from India. After a lot of dead ends, they eventually made contact with an orphanage in the town of Anantapura in East India. According to my parents, the place was run by an amazing woman without any government assistance. The story, which is now a family legend, (laughs) is that on the second visit to the orphanage, my parents were ushered into the main room to meet three girls, all around two years old. Two of those toddlers cried and ran away, but one opened her little arms and demanded to be hugged. (laughs) That was me. Okay. That's different. It took another year of paperwork before I got released into the hands of my parents, so I was three when I finally arrived in Kingston. That's old enough to be shocked by the change and to remember that shock. 
When I went to the local school in Calvin Park, I was the only South Asian girl there. I was teased so badly. So my mom quit her job and starting in grade one, I was homeschooled until I went to junior high. Wow. My parents would never dream of doing something like that. <laughs> what about you, Oliver? How did you come to question all the delusions? Well, uh, you know, to be honest, a lot of the reason I'm part of this is because of Leah. She was the one who pushed me to join Fridays for Future. What about before that? Well, I come from a family of outsiders. My parents aspire to be part of the, you know, quote-unquote, intellectual class. But in truth, our lives are closer to the working class, which is where they came from. When I was little, I spent a lot of time alone. Even in kindergarten, I sat at the back and didn't play with other kids. I observed. Instead, it's become a bit of a habit. You know, these days, I write songs about what I see. I noticed. Well, my parents are middle class, like I said, but compared with most people, they're not big consumers. While they're probably perfect examples of Leah's hated liberals, they're decent people who respect and welcome political debate. Whoa, look there, a great blue heron. Oh, wow, so beautiful. Look how it lands. Grace smiled a little and looked at me through her slightly maladjusted glasses and mass of curly hair. Maybe because of what happened later, I remember vividly the unnameable feelings I had on the riverbank that day. A glowing sense of being acknowledged and listened to for once. Funny how, through all of it, I never once imagined her as a lover. And as far as I know, the thought never occurred to her either. Do I see an angel who can save us from ourselves? One who held, one who held me, held me in her arms, arms, friends with benefits, she said, her kiss, an adventure, no demands, shaking hands, angel, angel, hear my call once and for all I will give I will give my my forever away hey, if you promise to stay the performers in this episode were Clark Mackey, Stephen Lee Nage, Jackson Watt Bowers, Paul Smith, Stephanie Fung, Vishmaya Jamworthy, Anna Sudak, Liam Carey, Olivia Farquhar, Graham Rennick, Kathy Santier, Denver Ross, Sam Kaiser, Amelia Redmond, Cassell Miles, Cindy C. Production by 
Clark Mackey. Matt Rogolsky. Lib Spry. Jeremy Kerr. Matthew Ng. Delaney Butler. Ethan Molesky. Anna Coelho. Music performed and composed by Kevin Bowers. Funding for the Makers and Shakers Society was provided by the City of Kingston Arts Fund and the Community Foundation of Kingston and Area. We are grateful to live and work as uninvited guests upon the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and the Anishinaabeg Nation.